Hello. This is Dracular Gottfried. And you are listening to the Half-Assed Horrorcast. A show that is so bad that it's frightening. It's more painful to listen to this show than to get a stake through the heart. The Half-Assed Horrorcast. Jeff. I'm Kia. And I'm Craig. And, and we, we just watched, watched American, American, oh, an American Werewolf in London. In London. London. For the first 23 years of David Kessler's life, he was only human. Then one night he took a walk on the moors. Beware the moonlets. Is David behaving strangely? Are you all right now? Well, I'll let you know the next full moon. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal, an American werewolf in London, rated R. But it's true. <laughs> 1981's An American Werewolf in London, written and directed by John Landis, chosen by Jeff. Jeff, what made you pull the trigger on an American werewolf in London? Well, I figured not enough people have talked about this movie, so... I'm just kidding. Like everyone's talking <laughs> oh, I was like, about really? this movie. <laughs> yeah. After I picked it, I was like, I should have picked something else. Like, I don't think we're gonna we can possibly say anything about it that hasn't been said a million times. But I I, I just love the movie. It's one of my favorite horror movies. It's also a just a great horror comedy. So absolutely. And there's something to be said though for. Like, a lot of times we go into deep cuts or obscure movies that a lot of people haven't seen, and there is something to be said for picking something that people are familiar with. Because um, even, Jeff, when we did the Halloween Kills minisode, I mean, a lot of people kind of came out of the woodwork and were direct messaging me on, you know, social media and stuff like that with their opinions. And <laughs> so, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, picking something that everyone kind of is in the, uh, what do they call it, the zeitgeist? Is that what they how do you say that? Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. So yeah, maybe we'll get some uh, listeners chiming in with some opinions. And maybe everyone hasn't seen this movie. I mean, I think I just saw this movie when you showed it to me. Really? So, you know, maybe then like a couple of years ago or something. Yeah. So. I didn't realize that. I knew you had seen American Werewolf in Paris first, <laughs> and not and not London. Um, sure did. I saw that at the movie theater, uh, and I had the soundtrack. Ooh, fancy. I listened to it on the school bus. Well, um, <laughs> oh, well, speaking of the Halloween Kills thing, I, I should bring up that uh, I was totally wrong about that whole Dr. Loomis thing. Like, it was definitely an actor in makeup, uh, which I found out, you know, later. I, I found some stuff online, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was just, he looked <laughs> so much like Donald Pleasance. I just, it blew me away that it wasn't him. So... Um, it, I, I thought they did a great job too and it's like you know I told you off mic I mean I, I feel like it's a real testament to CGI that we do question if it's real or not you know what I mean yeah. like we kind of had a conversation where I mean I was pretty 
certain it was an actor, but then when you start talking about it, I was like, oh, it, it maybe it really was. You know, maybe they did do yeah. some trickery and with CGI and everything to augment it because he really did yeah. look a lot like him and sounded a lot like him too. That was the most impressive thing to me is well, how I, how much he sounded like him. Well, I read that they had like a different actor do the voice over, mm. and so I just assumed that since everything is CG now that they just had like a, a, a body double, but then they like CG his face, but it was right. just, uh, the guy wasn't even an actor. He was like a guy that worked behind the scenes and who just happened to look like Donald Pleasance. And they were like, oh, hey, wow. you should play Dr. Loomis. And they just <laughs> put makeup on him and he looks identical. It's mm. pretty amazing. So anyway, just wanted to clear that up. And I'm sure there were a lot of people like, I've got to go leave comments somewhere. <laughs> Jeff is so wrong. <laughs> I I did. uh, There was one thing I had heard that I did want to bring up that um, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I heard uh, chatter about how it failed on Peacock, Um, Hmm. how it, you know, had a really big box office, but not many people streamed it on Peacock and it wasn't some big win for them. But apparently that was not true because I've looked at it elsewhere. Um, A lot of these streaming services, they don't really share their data. It's like a thing that Netflix has done for years and they can kind of keep it in-house a little bit. Apparently it has been streamed by over a million people. That's the estimate. So that's pretty decent numbers for a streaming service. And I did do a quick poll because I was curious with our listeners how many people streamed it versus going to the theater. And... uh, Dozens upon dozens voted, <laughs> and uh, it was uh, 74% were Peacock, and 23% theaters, and 3% were both. There were some people oh. that chose a double dip that way, which I kind of feel like for hardcore fans, that'll be a common thing. Like, you would see it in the theater, and then yeah, yeah. you would want to check it out again, and that's how you would do it is with the streaming service. So, yeah, I thought... I, I, I buck the system a little bit there. I, I, I like the idea that the streaming stuff is doing well. Jeff, do you want to kind of give us a brief synopsis of the of the film, the, the kind of setup? I think it says it in the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. There's uh, these two best friends, and they're backpacking across Europe, and they get attacked by a, a werewolf and one dies and the other one uh, survives and the one who dies uh, his ghost or zombie or whatever uh, comes back to visit him multiple times throughout the movie to warn him to that he's also going to become a werewolf and that he should kill himself so that he doesn't end up killing a bunch of other people and then uh, yeah that's it <laughs> Yeah, and, and apparently everyone that David, the werewolf, kills will also become part of the undead, uh, like his friend. Uh, what's his friend's name? Is it Jack? Jack, I think, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like uh, over the course of the movie, the the horde kind of grows a little bit. but Yeah, and the only way for them to be freed from walking the earth is if the the wolf line dies. Yeah. And the wolf line has to die with, with David. I was going to ask, when did people first watch the movie? When did mm. it first come to your attention? Or when did you first see it? I don't remember the first time I watched it all the way through, but I remember seeing part of it as like a toddler. My parents were watching it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I, like, I didn't see any of the scary parts. It was, I, the only thing I remember is that scene where he's like trying to get arrested and he starts like bad-mouthing <laughs> the queen. And I remember asking my mom, like, I was like, why is he doing that? My mom's like, he's trying to get arrested. And I was like, 
he can get arrested just for saying bad things about somebody. Yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, in, in England, they do that. They'll, they'll lock you up if they say something bad about their leader. And I'm like, what? Which I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I don't under. He should have just punched someone in the face. Yeah, go punch the cop. Yeah. yeah, I mean that definitely, but that's uh, a screenwriting thing, I guess. Because if he had done that, he definitely he would, would have arrested. ended up in jail. Yeah. It's been around like it, it's a movie that comes on TV a lot. It's come on TV mm. a lot through my throughout my life, so I just it's just kind of been always been there. <laughs> so I don't really remember the first time I ever sat down and just watched it from beginning to end. Uh, I think for me it was. Uh, kind of in the lizard brain for a long time because of thriller because uh, the making of thriller was such a big deal in the early 80s or i guess mid 80s and uh they would always mention that michael jackson had seen an american werewolf in london and that's why he got interested in john landis and rick baker you know doing the video for thriller so i'd always kind of knew about it but i didn't see it until i was like a preteen. my dad just randomly bought the movie and we watched it together was that was that his first time seeing it to you i don't i think it was and i, I don't re, it's kind of hard to remember if i like had mentioned it and you know he, or if he just knew you know i, I liked monsters and yeah. werewolves and all that stuff and he just kind of on a whim picked it up you know thinking it'd be a fun one for us to watch i'm assuming it gets its name from an american in paris right i guess it's the, a play on that right um gene kelly movie yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I love the. I, I listened to most of the commentary from uh, the two lead actors, Griffin Dunn and um, I'm a Pepper guy. What's his name? David. David Not. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I listened to their commentary, and like, they're pretty much those characters in real life. Like, they have that <laughs> chemistry in real life, like, still. And they're just like, they're really funny together, and they have, like, like I said, they just have great chemistry. And so I think. Uh, that's a big uh, part of the appeal for this movie to me is those two characters and those two actors I think are like really likable and I was I was watching it thinking like I want to be friends with Griffin Dunn like oh yeah <laughs> like Jack seems like he'd be a fun dude to be friends with you know like I think before they even get to the bar I yeah, think no. when they're just kind of walking and joking and laughing like a lot of that apparently was not scripted it was just kind of riffing and that they kept in the movie, so I guess that kind of does go back to their chemistry. Like apparently, the knock knock joke was, yeah, I think um, what's the word, ad libbed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's a a part where apparently it was cold and Griffin Dunn's nose was running, and David Naughton looks over and he starts laughing, and then Griffin Dunn starts laughing, and they kept that in the movie. That chemistry was real. Well, and it's it's just a masterclass in setting up characters and making you like them before they're in peril because yeah. the, the whole like first 15 minutes is just, you get to know these two guys and like you guys have said their friendship so when they do end up in a position where you think oh they might actually get hurt or worse here like there are stakes and you actually care about these people and don't yeah. want to see them get hurt um, which is impressive since griffin dunn gets killed in like the first 15 20 minutes yeah it's not even really a spoiler i mean he he yeah he bites the dust really quickly yeah and i feel like a lot of movies these days they kind of go the opposite way the way they make you try to like hate the characters mm -hmm. i guess so you won't like feel too bad when they die but like i don't know i feel like like you said there's there's stakes to this because you you know you like both of them and you don't want anything bad to happen to them 
there's really no bad character in this movie. Kind yeah, of. it's all just regular I mean, people just that regular have their people. own yeah motives and stuff. Yeah, but there's no one that you just like. Oh, I can't, I can't wait for the wolf to rip his throat out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. You know, it's funny. Like, it's completely not completely off topic, but when you you were saying there's no unlikable characters, I thought like, well, what about Frank Oz? He's a little bit annoying in that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I was watching it, thinking like, I mean, you know, now he to me, I. It, when I was watching that scene, I was thinking of uh, David Cross in uh, Arrested Development. Like, he kind of reminded me of Tobias a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> in the commentary, they were joking that, like, yeah, we didn't make any Miss Piggy jokes the whole time. <laughs> I, I guess we should talk about the elephant in the room is... Uh, the Rick Baker transformation sequence. That's like what this movie is most famous for, right? Is the broad, the harsh lighting of the apartment and you get to see a mm-hmm. werewolf actually transform. Whereas usually it's kind of covered up with shadows and yeah. uh, cool lighting, like in the howling, for instance, it's a great transformation scene, but it's kind of, it's, it has like stylized lighting that kind of covers up stuff. Whereas this, it's like very mundane lighting and you get to see everything. Yeah, they even like zoom in on the hair growing and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, and I think we, we've even talked about this before when we did the howling episode. It's uh, you know, I, I to me this is the the greatest Halloween transform transformation scene ever filmed. Mm. And the uh, still the practical effects look so good. I mean, I don't really know if I have much more to say than what's been said before, but it's you know it's excellent and this is isn't this is kind of like what uh you know put rick baker on the map really well i mean they basically didn't they create an oscar for him isn't that basically a category it was the first one Mm. oh yeah so the inaugural is it special effects i guess they did create it just for that yeah Yeah. i I mean that's (laughs) pretty amazing (laughs) he won the first you know, version of that or whatever, uh, you know, it's, it is interesting considering that there are other good special effects that came before that, because mm-hmm. what movie was that that we were watching? Was it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Oh, way back in the, the day. 30s? Sure. Mm-hmm. That was pretty fantastic, especially for the thirties. So I'm kind of surprised that that hadn't already been a thing. Yeah. I'm not super up on the Academy Awards and the categories and stuff like that. I don't know if they had like, you know, Different makeup, name. And potentially, if you had makeup effects, you could be in the makeup category yeah. and so That's on. I, I don't know how that works, really. but. And I was also uh, on the commentary. David Naughton was talking about how he was on some show with, uh, like, when, when the movie came out, he, they were doing press for the movie, like, going on talk shows and things like that. And he said that, like, uh, he and Rick Baker went on a, sh- on a show together to promote the movie. And I was thinking, like... Do, does that even happen anymore? Do, do the makeup effects guys go on like mm. talk shows now to promote the movie? It's Unless like, it's like Greg know. Nicotero, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. Who's He's also... kind of the only one. But like, it, it's funny how it was just like he, you know, Rick Baker became like a legitimate star from doing makeup effects for the movie. You, you never see him in the movie, but like his uh, work is so great that people are like, I gotta know who this guy is who did this. Oh, I was gonna say, did you know? Jeff, that he also did the um, the barbershop scene in Coming to America. 
Or I oh, guess yeah, all the yeah. all the other characters in coming. Through yeah, he did all the makeup. Oh I've yeah, seen. it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, obviously he has Eddie Murphy to, to play off of, which is, yeah. makes it a lot easier. But still, I mean, but he, he creates all these different characters. But he makes him an old, Jewish white guy. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> also, I wonder. So, uh, there's that Taika Waititi movie, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, and the main character in that movie is his name is Ricky Baker. And I was watching that movie, mm. thinking like, did. Did he just, did he name him Ricky Baker after Rick Baker, the Rick Baker monster maker? Sure. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds <Right>? like it. <laughs> yeah. It is wild, though, to think that those guys were rock stars for a little while. Because, I mean, yeah. I guess Tom Savini, Rick Baker, uh, you know, like, they were kind of household names for a while. Mm-hmm. And I, other than Greg, Greg Nicotero, there hasn't been another. Yeah. Is it even possible for, like, a CGI artist to become a rock star? There's just not, too right? many people like involved in it, I guess. Them. Yeah. yeah, and it's not that, it's not that interesting. I forgot about Stan Winston too. He was he was obviously oh, yeah, one yeah, of those yeah. guys too. You know, I, I love Joe Dante's podcast, the movies that made us, and uh, he talks a lot about how, you know, it, it really upsets him sometimes to think about how basically CGI supplanted uh, those types of special effects that Rick Baker did, just because he was like, you know in the mid nineties, that's when they were getting really good at it. That's when they were like masters of that stuff. And he kind of feels like they got gutted where they didn't get the funding that they, they normally had anymore. So he was like, you know, I, I can only imagine what they'd be doing, you know, in 2021, if they had remained like the front line of special effects or whatever, it would probably be completely off the charts, what they'd be coming up with and everything, but they kind of got mm-hmm. sidelined. Um, but it's nice that nowadays it feels like they're kind of doing a 50-50 split. It's kind of like mm-hmm. practical stuff augmented with CGI, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably the way to go. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, you know, it's talking about the makeup effects and everything. Um, the Griffin Dunn character, you know, how he kind of degrades as it goes is, is pretty great, too. And his first yeah. appearance where his throat is just yeah. completely, you know, slashed up and everything is, uh, you know, ugh. <laughs> It's gnarly yeah. stuff. I really like it. Yeah, that's that's. I I think like when my when I saw it as a younger kid, like I wasn't when I okay. So I didn't see any of the gross stuff until I was a little bit older. But I remember seeing him in the movie theater at the end where he's talking to David in the theater, where he's just like at the worst of his uh, deterioration, where like mm-hmm. you know he's like you see like his skull underneath, and it's just basically it's just a puppet. I remember that being kind of disturbing to me at the time. <laughs> yeah. Just being like, oh, I, don't, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Trick or Treat Studios made a really impressive mask of that character, of that version. Of oh, Jack. that that yeah. far along? Yeah, it's Style? really yeah. well done. I and haven't you know, seen that one. Yeah, it's really cool. And they also did the, a couple of the characters from that dream sequence where there's like a demon Nazi guy comes through the door and he starts mm-hmm. shooting up the family. Uh, those are all really well done too. Oh yeah, trickortreatstudios.com. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a uh, by episode recommendation. By I think we we bring yeah. them up almost every episode. So yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> we're both pretty big fans. Yeah, this is also a movie that uh, it's it's one of those I, I kind of watch. Almost every year around this time, there's like a handful of movies where I'm like, oh, it's Halloween time. I have to watch American Werewolf in London or Evil Dead 2 or Trick or Treat. 
but yeah, this is one that's definitely on that list. Like I, I know a lot of people have holiday movies they like to watch every year, and this is kind of like my equivalent of it. So this is this is definitely one of those for me. It, I mean, talking about like a crowd pleaser, I, I can't really imagine someone not liking this movie. I, I mean, I, I get maybe not loving it. Like, mm-hmm. this is my favorite movie. But Apparently, Roger Ebert didn't like it. Really? Because I, I saw that too. I think he gave it a thumbs down or whatever, but he liked The Howling. Cool. Yeah. I wonder why someone wouldn't like this movie. Like, would it not be violent enough for them? There might be a little bit of that, and then also the werewolf too violent, I guess. is not a traditional werewolf. It's 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 almost like a wolf. It's like a monstrous wolf, and I think a lot of people want either kind of a wolfman style or yeah, like a biped werewolf. Um, so, what do you guys prefer of all the werewolf types? Which what, what's your favorite look? I don't really have a preference. I mean, yeah. as long as it's as long as it's a good movie. A good, movie and a cool werewolf that's fair yeah 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 i agree with that i agree with that but i think like from a like as a kid growing up i always liked the look of like a wolf man like i like yeah i like the lon cheney jr and the michael j fox as teen wolf i was i was about (laughs) to say because we yeah we put teen wolf on the other day and i do like i don't know there's something about that look that's cool and his and his dad wearing glasses it's adorable <laughs> the dad reveal is like one of the best moments of that movie it's amazing it's like seeing an old shaggy dog <laughs> that is such a good fun wolf movie i mean the 80s were like a renaissance of werewolf movies it's pretty great um with, with the howling and teen wolf in this film um and one thing I thought about, they mentioned the Wolfman in the actual movie, the American Werewolf in London, uh, which is also a universal movie. They're both universal movies. And uh, the original Wolfman came out in 41. So this came out in 81, 40 years later. And here we are talking about it in 2021, <laughs> 40 years after American Werewolf in London came out. One. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, to me, it's it's astounding that they didn't do a re-release of this movie for the 40th anniversary. That would have been a slam yeah. dunk. I think a lot of people would have checked it out, especially during the Halloween season. Yeah, release sure. a fathom event. Or something. Oh yeah, give us a fathom <laughs> event, baby. Yeah. I mean, um, now we the half-assed forecast did it. <laughs> but uh it's funny because like I, it didn't even occur to me until you just said that. Like I didn't pick it thinking like, oh, it's the 40th anniversary. I, I wish I had thought of that though we should have been like oh because of the 40th anniversary i'm picking this <laughs> yeah i, I can't think uh, well, of anything else wait, i don't think you... we can talk about an american werewolf in london without talking about an american werewolf in paris yes we can <laughs> we can absolutely bypass uh, well, yeah. I just, i've never I seen just... it don't care okay. about it okay. well, <laughs> well i showed because i saw it in the because i think i knew about that movie maybe before this one I think in my mind, when I was younger, An American Werewolf in London was an older movie. Like, I didn't even realize it was, like, 81. I thought mm-hmm. it was black and white type. It sounds like it. It's a very classic-sounding yeah. title. Um, so I saw like, American Werewolf in Paris first, obviously, um, at the movie theater. Um, and, I mean, back then I liked every movie. I thought it was fine. But, um, and I liked, the, I liked the, the Bush song that they have. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's funny because, like, uh, that's my memory of that movie. It was there was some, like, a Radiohead concert that I recorded on my VCR. Uh, it was like live from the Tin Spot, 
and during the commercial break, I just let it record all the way through, and there was a commercial for that movie, and I was always like, it always drove me crazy. I had to fast forward through it because it was like, nothing hurts like I love that song. Oh, I fucking hate it. Sorry. First Sorry. thing in the morning on the school bus, I'd put that sound because that's how the soundtrack starts. Yeah. But anyway. That's something um, for nostalgia. I mean, but, you saw it and I showed, you know, in an impressionable I, age. And I showed you. Yeah. And you reminded me because I did, well, you told me because I had no idea that the Tom, the, the werewolf in the sequel and his girlfriend who makes him a werewolf, spoiler, I guess, um, she's supposed to be the daughter of David and, and Alex, I think is the nurse's name. Alex, the yeah. nurse in this movie, which was lost on me. Well, it's, it's like barely even, that's just trying to make it a sequel. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah. otherwise it's just a remake basically. I yeah. mean, in some levels. So, and I showed you and what did you think of it? Hated it. Uh, you can be honest. I don't care. I, I wouldn't say I hated it. It was just, it, it's kind of like a throwaway compared to this is true. An American Werewolf in London, which is a classic. And that... talk about CGI versus practical. Ooh, shit, I mean, dude. The CGI. <laughs> this is why people should stick with practical because practical will always look good. 40, 50 years from now, it's always going to, it might look a little dated, but it's always going to look good. But CGI is dated like immediately. Yeah, it almost instantly becomes dated. <laughs> but w one thing though, I will say in all fairness to the makers of American Werewolf in Paris is uh, they probably, even if they had someone that was willing to do practical effects or if they were thinking of doing that, they probably were like, we are not following that. <laughs> like Rick Baker's, that's like the most definitive werewolf transformation of all time. This is true. Just do, do it CGI. Who gives yeah. a shit? Because people will hate it no matter what if it's CGI and it won't be compared or whatever, really. Yeah. So maybe that's what they were thinking is yeah. just straight up make it and CGI. And the target audience were just, I don't know what the target audience in 1981 would be. This is, I consider this to be a somewhat of a, not highbrow, but a very sophisticated movie. Whereas in American Orphan Paris, the target audience was like can't hardly wait crowd. Yeah. You know, they, teenagers it, who yeah. are going to like anything. It, it's funny. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, Keon, because I'm, I'm stealing thunder again. So if you want to strike me. what? No, no. no. Uh, the, uh, but this is something I knew already anyway. But uh, the studio wanted Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi to play the, the male leads in this. And John Landis had to fight them a little bit over it because he wanted, you know, actual of age appropriate actors and uh, <laughs> and and not big stars necessarily. Yeah. How old was Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi? They would have at least been in their thir early thirties yeah. at that point. Because these guys were like in their late twenties. Yeah. Well, I think they're supposed to be college age, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, early twenties. Um, I just can't imagine Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi in this movie. I feel like that would make it a straight comedy. Well, I think that's what the studio wanted. Oh. They, they wanted, I mean, this is the guy that just, had just made Animal House. So well, they were just thinking. There are some trivia about yeah. that, that at a preview, the audience, a lot of the audience members left mm. because they had been told this is from the director of Animal House. So they went in thinking it's a comedy. And, but those people must not be into horror because there was comedy in this movie. It's it's funny but, because I actually heard a podcast, the Joe Dante podcast, where they had John Landis as a guest, and he talked about how um, one screening did go terrible like that, like a test screening, uh, specifically because of what you just said, Kia. But then he was like, no, 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 no. You do it again, have another test screening, you know, do it in this neighborhood, and I'm going to introduce it. And he came out and just said, this is a horror movie. There's going to be a cool werewolf transformation. There's going to be some cool blood and guts. Get ready. And he said all the kids were like, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, you know, and he said they loved it, you know, because yeah. they their expectations were reset before they sat and watched it or whatever. Mm. And he said people were like throwing popcorn and just, you know, like it was like a riot almost. Yeah. So, uh, like you know, a nightmare audience. Am I right? <laughs> I'm sure it was awesome and fun. I should also say, like, in fairness, I've never seen American Werewolf in Paris, so I You're might not, not hate it as much as I'm letting on. So, like, um, also, we were you were saying earlier that the the name might kind of comes from a, an American in Paris, but I think a, it might be a mashup of that title and Werewolf of London, which yeah. was like oh. a early yeah. Universal Monster movie. Yeah, it predates the Wolfman. It was actually yeah. thirty five. Yeah, that was like their first attempt. Yeah. On their commentary, because another trivia that I came across was that Griffin Dunn and David Naughton never understood why John Landis didn't use um, Werewolf of London's the song in the movie. Did they mention that in their commentary? Yeah, but I forgot why they didn't use it. I forgot why they said that. I, I just wonder if it was just because it was like literally the title just and it was like too on, on the, the nose, nose. Uh, yeah. and maybe that's why he sidestepped it. It's a lot of uh, moon songs in the soundtrack. They're all good songs too. Like, well, uh, how did you feel about that? Like juxtaposed to, you know, my criticism of, you know, Fear Street earlier in the summer where I was like, they had all these songs and they were just thrown in. And um, how did you feel about the music choices in this film? I liked them. I, I, mean, I didn't have a problem with the Fear Street choices either, though. <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, true. You, you have a particular like that. I think that's one of your pet peeves is when something like a song is on the nose in the soundtrack. Because I've heard you say that about like Watchmen, too. Right. Years yeah, ago. yeah. Yeah. But, that's true. Uh, it, it, to me, it's it's part of the comedy of American Werewolf in London that they it's all the songs have moon in this in the in the lyrics, you know, like bad moon rising and moon dance. Blue, yeah, moon blue moon punches out with that. I do think what's cool, and you mentioned this when we were watching it, the the use of the Sam Cooke blue moon version, just um, like a nice romantic sweet song next to this horrific experience that this guy is going mm -hmm. through. And I don't know if the song was supposed to be playing. Is he listening to that? Is he playing that song in the apartment? I can't really I don't tell. think so. I okay. think that's just strictly, yeah. you know, for the movie. It was um, so interesting because I feel like a lesser director would have it be some more intense song. What? Or if it uh, yeah. was like today, it would be like, uh, we said the Nine Inch Nails. Well, um, no, I said during the lovemaking scene, <laughs> it would literally be, you know, the Nine Inch Nails, I want to fuck you like an animal. <laughs> that would be the that would be the 2021 choice. It would be yeah. like, ooh, that's what's happening right now. You know, it's like you can't have any subtlety whatsoever. And But, you know, that would actually be funny in its own way, too. So it's not really and a wrong honest, choice. That's a good song. I mean, it just well, sounds yeah, good. I mean, At least the instrumental part. You can leave out the words, but it's a good song. So, oh, Jeff mentioned David Naughton being the Dr. Pepper guy in the commercials. Mm. And so some of the trivia was that um, John Landis hired Naughton because of those Dr. Pepper commercials. Mm. But then Naughton lost his Dr. Pepper job because of his nude scenes in this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> that was probably a good gig. Yeah. Um, there's a trivia that said that... Rick Baker was first disappointed in how short the werewolf transformation scene was because he spent so much time on it. But that the, when the, he said in an audience that saw it and they applauded mm. that scene. So then he was like, okay, that's fine. 
um, both Rick's, Rick Baker's Oscars were for wolf movies. So this one and The Wolfman. Oh. So he's obviously does wolves very well. That surprises me that he hasn't won more Oscars, too. It's a travesty. Yeah. Apparently he played the Nazi that cut David's throat in the dream sequence. I don't know if that's true. Mm, the mutant, yeah. And mm. another one said that Landis, at the very end when there's that really crazy car crash scene, when uh, the werewolf bursts out of the porn theater, um, <laughs> that the man that gets hit by a car and thrown through a window is supposed to be John Landis. Hmm. That's I didn't know that. Um, oh, and this one I thought was really interesting and scary and probably doesn't reflect well on the people behind the movie, but that the, the scene where David is in the, he's in, a, he wakes up in a zoo and he's in a cage with wolves. And apparently he was only told that, you know, these wolves have been fed. His only assurance was that he was told the wolves have been fed, but just don't make any loud noises or sudden moves. Mm. <laughs> it's like, what? He's buck naked standing He's next to naked. him. <laughs> and he has to crawl out. What if he had fallen? Into, like... They just go straight for the taint. <laughs> <laughs> One other quick thing is uh, Rick Baker infamously uh, left the howling to work on this in American Werewolf in London. He was originally slated to do all the uh, effects for the howling. He ended up uh, having his protege take over for the howling. And uh, that leads me to a quick question. Which one do you prefer, this one or The Howling? I don't even remember The Howling, so this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think After you asked us when we did The Howling, too. Ow. I think American Werewolf in London, I would, yeah. I would pick that one. After uh, I saw American Werewolf in London, I mean, I have no problems remembering this movie. Mm. But The Howling, I do not remember the werewolf transformation scene. I don't know what the werewolf looks like. It, I guess it just didn't stick with me. That's fair. So, definitely this one. I, I like The Howling a lot. Really? Just a little bit. Why? I think uh, the humor and... Uh, oh, I don't remember there being humor in The Howling. There definitely is. <laughs> Who directed The Howling? Joe Dante I have, directed oh. it. I say, I have his autograph now. <laughs> oh. Well, no wonder you like it then. Yeah, there you go. Fair enough. Um, and I actually had a poll for the viewers, our, our listeners. Which one do they prefer? The Howling or American Werewolf in London? And Once again, dozens upon dozens voted. Sixty <laughs> percent, The Howling. Really? Yeah, forty percent. Do American I need to go back and London. watch The Howling? I I, huh. I think that on any day one could be picked over the other. You know, to like a real hardcore lover of werewolves and stuff, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. And where does The Howling take place? It's on like a. I don't. I don't want to get into the weeds about the howling, but it's it's on like a. Uh, it's in America, though, right? It is in America. It's on like know. a resort. Remember, they're yeah. like it's There's like a just psychiatrist. Something about is... London. That's that's fair. It's gothic. I like. I just. I don't know. I like. I like the pub. Mm -hmm. Just the atmosphere of, of that movie. I like. I like it. In the beginning, on the hills and everything, where they're you yeah. know where they're walking in the beginning is a great setting as well. Man, it's so yeah. scary when they're when they're out there in that field, yeah. and you can just hear it. You know, you can hear it getting closer and closer, and they, they don't know which direction to run or walk, and uh, like the way they act in it with the levity and like they're kind of joking a little bit, but you can tear the, you can tell they're really scared. I just think that's so realistic. I mean, like yeah. cracking jokes, but you're quietly going, "Oh fuck, what's about to happen?" I wonder and, if they know. told the actors like what direction that the thing was going to come from. Or yeah, that's a great. To... That's a great. Because uh... another trivia that I saw was that they didn't tell the like the crowd that was around the movie theater when the 
when the werewolf was trying to bust out, like they didn't tell them that it was a fake animal inside, so they thought mm. it was real. I don't know how realistic that is. Mm. Like that they would have been able to just scare an entire well, they, village of people. Maybe they expected a dude in a in a suit and it ended up being, you know, something that looked something roughly with, yeah. like an animal and it and it, you know, surprised them. So if someone just pulls out like if it was in America they could do that cuz someone would probably be armed and just shoot them <laughs> in self defense and be like, "Oh no, sorry." <laughs> Kick us off, Kia. Oh. I give it an A+. Plus. Jeff? I'll give it... Yeah, I'll give it an A+. Plus. What are you going to give it? I'll give it an A. <laughs> Cheeky nonconformist. So, it still has an A+, plus average. <laughs> from the ha- if, yeah. if we were on a poster for it or something, it would be A+, plus, half-ass forecast. Yay! So, definitely, if you haven't seen this, you definitely need to stop everything you're doing and watch it. It's on Peacock. <laughs> So if you uh, bought Peacock this month for Halloween Kills, be sure to check out An American Werewolf in London because it's totally accessible to you right now. Thank you for listening. Thank you. We're now moving on to trivia, if that's okay with everyone. Yeah. Is everyone ready? I'm Jeff. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kia. (laughs) And I'm Craig. And And we we just reviewed An American American Werewolf in in London. It is time once again for... Okay, so I have some trivia prepared. It's uh, quite original. It's going to blow both your minds. I brought up Joe Dante a moment ago. Oh. We've been talking about John Landis. Oh, no. So the trivia is Joe or John. Oh, God. <laughs> so you only have two answers you can give for this. You have a 50-50 shot at every question. Okay. So is the score just going to be just two points across the board then? If Oh, good point. Oh, no, that's yeah, not really you, fair. You can't really steal this. There's no stealing. Okay, yeah. no stealing. So it's just one at a time. Okay. Um, I'm going to say... Oh, who who would like to go first? Who who? Uh, please volunteer. Who who's going first? Kia. All right, Kia, you're going you first. Fifth. So okay. you, the question is just whether it will be Dante or Landis. Exactly, Joe yeah. or John. Oh, Joe or John. Number one for Kia. Which director directed 1973's Schlock? Joe. Incorrect. That was John Landis's first film. <sighs> Jeff, question two. Joe or John? This comes from, uh, this is a quote from one of their films. Which one directed it? We're on a mission from God. John Landis. That's from uh, Blues Brothers. Very correct. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> question three for Kia. Joe or John directed 10 episodes of Hawaii 5 um, um, John? Incorrect. That was oh. Joe Dante. Poor showing from Kia. Oh, Question number four. The new ver- Oh, this is a quote from one of these directors, Joe or John. 
The new versions of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Last House on the Left look like shampoo commercials. Which director said that? Uh, Joe. Incorrect. That was John Landis. Number five for Kia. Directed 1968's The Movie Orgy. John. Incorrect. That was Joe Dante's first film. It was... uh, So annoying. Go ahead. (laughs) He he cut together like trailers or whatever, and it was like this massive movie. It's like six hours long. And that's why it was called an orgy is because you would go in and you would just watch all these trailers cut together. And it was like a big college hit, apparently. Sounds like YouTube. Yeah, modern YouTube for sure. Uh, Question six for Jeff. Which director has the most recent feature film credit for a, for a film he directed? Um, Joe Dante? That is correct. For 2018's Nightmare Cinema. Kia, question seven. This director was John Carpenter's first choice to direct Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Joe. You are correct. Oh, yay, I'm on the board. Dante passed. <laughs> Jeff, number eight. Which of these directors babysat Kiefer Sutherland? Uh, John Landis. It's true. He became Ooh. friends with Donald Sutherland on a set of one of his movies early in his career, and he ended up <laughs> babysitting. Number nine for Kia. Which of these directors turned down a chance to direct Men in Black? John. That is correct. He said later he regretted it. (laughs) Jeff, number 10. Turned down the chance to direct Problem Child. (laughs) Joe. He did not regret that. (laughs) That was a good movie. I liked it. (laughs) You are correct. Congratulations. <laughs> so this is the last question for Kia? Yeah, yeah. Number 11? Yeah. Who is the eldest of the two directors? Oh, John. Incorrect. Is Joe Dante. He was born in 1946. Landis is a baby, born in 1950. Kia, who won? Jeff, score of eight to four. Congratulations. Jeff is the Joer John champion. Congratulations, <laughs> sir. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we like to end every episode of the Half Ass Horrorcast with What's Making Us Scared, in which we share something in the horror genre that we're excited about, concerned about, etc. Etc. Yes, because I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all kinds of uh, options. Uh, I'll kick us off. Uh, I, I am going to recommend Dr. Gangrene's YouTube channel. Uh, I've definitely talked about Dr. Gangrene before on this podcast and probably even his YouTube channel. But every October, uh, or most Octobers, I should say, uh, he does a 31 days of Halloween countdown and this year he's doing uh, Monsters Gone Wild, where it's a mad scientist creates a monster. So he's featuring a, a movie each day where he kind of talks about it uh, in little bite-sized five to ten minute clips. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun. I've been watching it on my lunch break. And 
it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just really quality work and he does a great job of mixing in things that you're familiar with and you want to hear him talk about, like the classic Frankenstein, you know, from, uh, Ham- I almost said Hammer, but from uh, Universal Monsters uh, to just like really obscure stuff that, you know, you're like, oh, I'll put a pin in that because someday I'm going to go back and take a look at it. So Dr. Gain Green, he is a Middle Tennessee Nashville institution, been around for 20 plus years doing his thing as a horror host. Check him out on YouTube. I'll go next. I am recommending, because I've actually watched it, mm. <laughs> um, Chucky, the television series that's on, is it, is it on both Sci-Fi and USA? Because I think it's like a, it's a collaborative production. Yeah, I, th- I think so. they own, whatever company yeah. owns both of those channels. And... But um, it's really good and it's, you know, Don Mancini, the the child's play creator is involved he's does he like write and direct a little bit of both i don't know but he's like involved he's directed and written i think the last four installments of the movies as well so yeah yeah, he's written all of them but and um it's just a really fun tv show i think they're doing something different um and uh the last episode they had a a good like almost 10 minute long behind the scenes afterwards where they just kind of went into um the puppetry that they use to uh control chucky because it's Mm. not cgi it's like an actual doll and it's done really well and it's just a it's a fun show i really like it it's super certified fresh i think it's like 97 percent or something (laughs) um so yeah and obviously the the guy who does the voice of chucky is doing it in the tv show and I think Jennifer Tilly is supposed to pop up and some other characters from other movies are supposed to pop up. So yeah, it's really yeah. good. I'm Ch- really Chucky's such a, such a bastard. It's, it's, it is actually really fun but to watch. In a weird way, you kind of root for him. Mm. Um, and he's cute. I think he's much cuter than the, the, the movie, the new, the new child's play yeah. movie, which was not a cute doll. And I just could not see why any child would buy that mm. doll. But anyway, um, but no, the TV show is really fun, so I definitely recommend the TV show. Chucky, check it out. Jeff, how about you? What, what's making you scared? Um, I have been recommending this show to everybody I come in contact with, and that's uh, Ghosts on HBO Max. Not the CBS show. There's an American remake. Ghosts is a BBC uh, British comedy about uh, this couple who inherit this old mansion and there's these ghosts that uh, that haunt the mansion and there's an accident that occurs where the the wife uh, some comes so close to death that she can now see the ghosts and then uh, you know, each ghost has their own personality and they're, they're like from different eras. Like whoever dies on the property, their ghost haunts the house. And, uh, so it's like seven or eight different ghosts that are upstairs. And then there's like a whole group of ghosts that are downstairs in the basement. And it's, it's just really hilarious. And it's, it's funny to see how the ghosts kind of drive the wife crazy. They just, it's almost like, um, I kind of compare it to like a family sitcom, 
where the the couple or the parents and the ghosts or the kids and the kids kind of just drive the mom crazy because they're always coming to her like with their arguments and things and like mom he you know he touched me whatever like but she'll be talking to like a living person who can't see the ghosts and they're just making noise and and acting crazy around her and she has to pretend like she doesn't hear them so that the person she's talking to doesn't think she's lost her mind but you know you're watching it just going like i would just love to turn to them and be like would you guys shut up i'm trying to talk to somebody you know but the other person will be like oh, this lady has lost her mind she needs to be put into a mental institution but it's it's really really funny and it's really great i love all the ghosts in it they're all very uh likable in their own way um i think my favorite is uh robin the caveman uh, there's a which I think is just hilarious that there's a caveman named Robin. Like he's not, he's not like grunk or something like that. Um, so anyway, that's that's my recommendation. Ghosts on uh, HBO Max. There's three seasons so far. So it's still think, ongoing. Yeah, I think there's like a fourth season in the works right now. Cool. I heard that the the actor who plays the caveman uh, has COVID right now. So hopefully he'll uh, you know recover and oh sure they'll be yeah. able to get seen, back on it. Have you seen the CBS version? I tried to watch it. I got about halfway <laughs> through it, and I was like, I just, I just didn't like it. <laughs> and uh, there's like there, the ghosts are different on the American version. There, um, uh, I think there's a couple that kind of cross over. Like there's there's one on the BBC version that's like a, a scout leader, and he's got an arrow through his neck. Uh, <laughs> they that one carried over into the American version, but the the actor who plays him looks and acts very differently. But it's it's funny because he has that arrow through his neck in the BBC version when he gets excited or like upset and he tries to yell his his voice gets like this high pitch. It's really funny. <laughs> nice ghost on HBO Max. Jeff's recommendation. I get to pick the movie for November, and my choice, sticking with my 1970s theme that I've been going with for a while, is a little film called. The Horror Express from 1972. It stars Peter Cushing oh, yay. and Christopher Lee. Oh, yeah. And it was also the film that was featured in that Creep Show episode written by Dana Gould, where it was like virtual reality yeah. and the character was going inside of a Hammer movie. Um, so this is the actual nice. Hammer movie that uh, this, that character went inside in that episode. So we'll actually get to see the proper film. And it's on Shudder. So if you guys want to check it out, The Horror Express on Shudder will be the next choice. Nice gothic pick Mm -hmm. for post-Halloween season. And as always, thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Kia, for joining me for the Half-Ass Horrorcast. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. (laughs) And thank you, listeners, for checking us out. Thank you. Happy Halloween. Go Braves! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Half-Ass Horrorcast. You can find us on Instagram at Half-Ass Horrorcast. Facebook at Half-Assed Horror, Twitter at H.A. Horrorcast, and you can send us an email at halfassedhorrorcast at gmail.com or visit our website, halfassedhorrorcast.com. Yeah.